you turn in your Bibles to Second John. Second John. So as we uh, pick up an entire book, you're probably going, he's going to do a whole book today. Oh, no. Uh, well, it's 13 verses. So I think we can, we can ac- accomplish this task before us as we tackle Second John and the importance of truth. The importance of truth. You know, we live in a world uh, that focuses in on all kinds of things and truth is really not among those things that we focus in on a lot of the time. Well, we say it is, but truth becomes situational, it becomes existential, uh, it's based on your own personal beliefs or experience. The Bible, when the Bible uses the word truth, it's being very specific. That truth is immutable, it never changes, it's always been true, And so we sang about it, did we not? He is the way and the truth and the life. And oh, by the way, no one comes to the Father but by him. Amen? Amen. That's the truth that's in view here. And that is the contested truth in our world. There are a lot of churches that have shifted gears away from the truth of the good news of the gospel message. And they've made it about a lot of other things. And while those things may not necessarily be harmful... The truth is, we need to really care about the truth. And that comes in this passage, these 13 verses, the importance of truth. When you think about the word truth, it means actuality, reality, fact. It's actually very hard to define truth itself because it really is its own definition. But when you think about it in the real world, you can think about it from a lot of different ways, like the the laws of physics would be truth to us. If you fall off of the stage, you're going to hit the ground because gravity is true. Amen? If I were to tell you that all things tend towards decay, I would be giving you the law of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics. That is truth. Things do not get better with age, hence the way I look. There are truths in our world that are true about the world itself, and then there are truths that are true eternally. The Bible itself is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. God the Father is truth. And so when we use the word truth in the context of our passage, we're talking about biblical truth. And John's going to fill us in on the importance of it. Would you pray with me? And we'll pick up here in verse 1. Father, we thank you for truth. Lord, our world needs truth. It doesn't need another well-packaged lie. It needs truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word, and as we read it, Lord, would you impact our lives with it. Lord, bless us as we study. Uh, Give us ears, Lord, again to hear the voice of your Spirit speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 here in 2 John, To the elect lady and her children whom I love in, It takes one sentence to find the word truth. I love in truth. Five times in these opening verses we find this word. And not only I, but all those who have known the truth. And because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. You see, by its very definition, a truth cannot be a truth today and a lie tomorrow. If it is not true tomorrow, it was not true today. Truth cannot change. And so the truth that's in view here is the truth 
that has caused each one of you who've named the name of Jesus to actually be a child of God. It's the truth that God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son into this world that the world through him would be saved. It is the truth of the good news of the gospel that's in view. And people don't like the narrowness of the gospel. They want a broader view of what God would accept, and yet God, in his infinite wisdom, has made the truth of the gospel central to his plan to redeem mankind. There are not multiple saviors. There are not multiple ways. Jesus said, I am the singular one and only way. I am the singular one and only truth in that sense. And that no one comes to the Father. John 14, 6. You see, we live in a world that wants there to be some other way. Matter of fact, we live in a world that actually hopes that there isn't an actual way that every way is a way, that whatever you believe is okay, as long as you believe it hard enough, long enough, and with enough zeal. John's going to attack that right now. And that truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father. How does that happen? By the truth. It is the truth that brings that about. It's not me telling you a well-couched lie. It isn't me speaking into your life something that itches your ears and makes you feel good about your sin. It isn't me telling you that all roads lead to heaven or that all people ultimately will be saved. That is a lie. The truth is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved And to not believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to not be saved. Now when you say that to someone who doesn't already believe that, they may have a different opinion. But your Bible says their opinion is wrong. That what they think is the truth is actually not a truth at all. It's the way the enemy digs into this world and feeds us lies. That peace will be with you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Son of the Father in truth and love. And I greatly rejoice, or rejoice greatly, that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we receive commandment from the Father. You know, when James was writing and he says that we are supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only, He goes on to say, because to be a hearer and not a doer is to be self-deceived. It does us no good to know the truth and do nothing with it. And so John's going to focus in on not only do we need to know the truth, but we need to walk in the truth. And as we contemplate what's contained here, the real gist of this is it's not about what denomination of believers you belong to. It's not about a philosophy of ministry. It isn't about a certain group of people who have some minor details on which they disagree with another group and whether, you know, those two groups can get along. It's have you believed on the only begotten Son of God? That is the truth that's in view. When you begin to teach that truth, 
you're going to come up with some people who don't like what you have to say. And it may be more frequent than you might think. Titus faced that problem. Timothy faced that problem. Paul faced that problem. John is facing that problem. I have faced that problem. But the church, nonetheless, is built on the central truth, the biblical truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is to the glory of God the Father. That was his plan. Before the foundation of the world, he was seen as the lamb slain. There was never another way. There was never another truth. There was never another way to God the Father. It wasn't by the Old Testament law. The law simply pointed us to Jesus. The law could convict of sin. The law could point you towards righteousness. But the law could never save. The only Savior is the one and only Jesus. You see, what you believe, truth matters. Your reality matters in that sense. What you really believe matters. You, you see, someone who is a Muslim, someone who believes that Islam is another way, is deceived because there is no son of God in Islam. So if the God they believe in has no son, which is a tenant of the Muslim faith, then you've got the wrong truth. It's not true. And so Allah in that sense and Yahweh cannot be the same. One of those two things has to be wrong. Now when you say that to someone, hopefully you can find a way to say it in a kind way. And I'm attempting to be kind right now while pointing out the fact that on the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount, it says God has no son. And your Bible says the only way to know God is to know the son. Those two things are not compatible and they cannot both be true. So if Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, then if you have the God of Islam, you have the wrong God and you don't have the Savior. That's going to make a few people upset. About 1.4 billion of them actually. It's a tragedy. But we have to stand in the truth. The truth that I believe is not just an objective revelation from the Father, but it is my subjective experience in my daily life. When I put these things to the test, I can objectively look at it, and when I just kind of maneuver things around in life, I'm going to find that it points me back to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible is true. That's why Jesus is the truth. That's why God's word, Jesus said, is the truth. That's why the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. Amen? We're dealing with truth, not good suggestions. You know, it's amazing to me how many Christians almost take their Bibles as if God is suggesting you kind of, sort of, might ought to live this way. Your Bible is truth, penned by the Holy Spirit authored through men of old who wrote those things down as God communicated to them God intended to send you a message from outside of space and time 
so that you could know truth in a world that doesn't have much truth in it. Amen? Now, I grew up in a day and time where when you turned on the news, you were pretty certain you were going to get the Huntley-Brinkley report or Walter Cronkite and truth. Amen? Those guys would have killed themselves rather than tell something that wasn't true. That's not true anymore. We manipulate things. We live in a world where the truth is kind of what you make it. Can I tell you that doesn't work with God? You're you're not going to get to that place where you take your last breath and God's going to go, well, how did you feel about it? I realize you didn't receive my son and his grace and forgiveness of sin, but how did you feel about that? No, he's going to ask you if you believed on the name of his only begotten son and thereby received grace and forgiveness of sin, and because of that, your debt was paid, you were justified, your guilt sentence was taken by Jesus, the propitiation made, and you're going to go to heaven. But that's by believing truth. That's not by trying to make your own way. And John's focusing in. He's reminding us, look, there, there is only one way. What do we do with this biblical truth that's in front of us? There's several things that you can see here. Look with me at verse 4, if you would. For I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Your Bible declares very plainly that the whole of God's word is truth. Thy word, O God, is truth. The totality of it. And so to walk in truth is to walk in the word in that sense. It's to say yes to what God says yes to. And it's to say no to what God says no to. Amen? We are to love God and shun evil. We are to be holy as God is holy. And and so the first thing that we see here is this aspect of our lives that we should be people who walk in the truth of God. So when someone comes to me and says, you know, I just have a right to be bitter, mean-spirited, angry, and horrible to my spouse because of what they've done, I can point them to the truth. And I say, I'm not suggesting that you don't have reasons why you feel that way, but I'm telling you what your Bible says. The truth is you're not to be bitter. The truth is you must be forgiving. Just read Matthew 18, the end of it. The truth is you can't be angry. You're not supposed to let the sun go down on your wrath. You're not to continue in sin any longer. And when you are angry, Jesus said, you are akin to looking towards murder. So you can tell me all day that you have a reason, and I can actually agree with you. Yes, there's a reason you feel that way. But how you respond to the truth of God's word will change your action. You will walk in that truth if you truly believe that it's true. Because truth is non-negotiable. When God's word declares that because he is holy, I'm supposed to be holy, guess how I'm supposed to live my life? It's not like 47% holiness, a kind of little bit in the middle, and then 36% unrighteousness. No, it's be holy in totality. So everywhere where God has an opinion on something, I'm supposed to have his opinion on it. 
Why do you think Jesus said narrow is the way that leads unto righteousness? Amen? That's why he said it, because it's narrow. We've been bought and paid for with the price. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, Paul said, I live for him, for Christ. And so truth is in view and walking in that truth. And that is the sweet spot that you have in your life. There's an interesting thing for those of you that are golfers, and we are planning our first ever Calvary Chapel South Bay golf tournament, by the way. I don't know why that came up right now, but I just thought of it. But there, in, a, in a golf swing, there's, there's what's called the sweet spot. You know, you can be a little long on your swing, a little short on your swing. You can hit the ball kind of out on the toe. That's out on the edge of the club or on the heel. That's on the inside. And if you do not hit it on the sweet spot, that ball goes everywhere. I can tell you the ball goes everywhere. But when you hit the sweet spot, it has the right spin and the right rotation, and it cuts through the air, and it goes a long ways. You've been watching the, the U.S. Open. You, you watch these guys playing. How does somebody hit a little white ball 350 yards? They hit the sweet spot. They aren't kind of sort of missing. They're hitting the sweet spot. The sweet spot for you in your life is when you are as close to walking in the truth as is absolutely possible with you. That's when you go the furthest, that's when you go the fastest, that's when you stay on course, that's where you do the most good, and that is where you score the best. Amen? That's what truth does for us as Christians. And so there are three little sub-points that you can see in this. John had joy while he walked in the truth. Look, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. God didn't give us his word so that we can walk around bummed out with our chins hanging down to the ground with a frown on our face all day. He told us the truth so that we could walk in it and actually have joy. There's joy in walking in the truth. There's joy. I can tell you what happens. The converse of this is true. There is no joy as a believer in not walking in the truth. Can I tell you that? You know how I know it? By literally hundreds and hundreds of experiences of sitting in jails and hospitals and police officers cars and all kinds of places talking to people who sat right where you are today listened to the truth did not walk in it and felt like they didn't need to follow the truth and then the circumstances that God said would come did come and they're now not experiencing joy because they did not walk in the truth They're experiencing the chastisement of the Lord. They're experiencing the consequences that come into your life when you do exactly what the word says not to. You see, when I tell you that God wants to heal your marriage, it's because he hates divorce. And if he hates divorce, he wants to heal your marriage. So you can tell me whether I don't want to do that. But when you come back the second time, I'm still going to tell you God wants to heal your marriage. God wants to restore it. And I'm going to keep doing that until you get so sick and tired of me telling you the truth that you're going to be forced to do something and here's what's going to happen. If you will do what God says, God will heal your marriage. He can fix anything. But you can choose not to. And if you choose not to, you will not have joy. Because God loves you too much to leave you in a space and place where you're walking contrary to who you are as a Christian. 
John walked in obedience to that truth. And this is just a plain statement of the facts that what John is saying is when you decide that you are a child of God, when you've made that commitment to follow Christ, then you're going to look at the word of God very differently. I'm going to go, he loves me so much that this is what he wants for me. Not, wow, he's trying to kill all my fun. I've talked to Christians just like, you know, the reason I, I, I just don't read my Bible because every time I read it, it corrects something in my life. Well, duh. That's because you be what we call wrong. You know? It's like, hello. God's knocking on your door going, you might want to change that. You see, we can have obedience as part of the way that we walk because it's not a burden. God wants to lift your burdens. He's saying, look, just walk with me. This is going to be okay. And the third thing, John here bears witness to that truth. You see, here's what happens. Your life then becomes absolutely proof positive that this is true. You know how many people I've talked to Look, anybody that tells you that marriage is easy has not been married. <laughs> marriage, marriage is difficult. You're taking two people. Look, us guys are basically barbarians, okay? We prefer to kill things and eat them. You ladies have emotion. You look at everything, and it's like, and this is a generalization, of course. Because I'll get the emails. Well, I'm not like that. <laughs> All right, so you're not like that. The marriage is difficult. You're taking two individual lives and you're putting, to, putting them together and you husbands have been told and love your wife as Christ has loved the church. I ain't doing that. It's not happening. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fitting unto the Lord. I'm not doing that. Now you can say you're not going to do that. Why? Because it's not easy. But it is the best. And I can tell you after 43 years of marriage, it's also correct. It's true. Our marriage is a testimony that what God said about marriage is true. He can fix anything. And he does want me to love my wife completely unconditionally. He wants me so submitted to him that whatever she needs, I'm going to think about it first. Because I'm so focused on what she needs that it keeps me busy all the time just trying to figure that out. You guys were wondering what the secret is. There it is, right there. <laughs> figure, figure it out, man. But you got, then you, you're loving in that situation. So what happens is, is your life bears witness to the truth of God's word. And people go, well, what's the secret? Well, I just did what God told me to do. I actually find joy in that. And so he says, love one another here. That's what he means. He means love one another. That's not some new experience. If God the Father loved Christ the Son so much that he sent him into this world so that the world through him could be saved, that's it. That's the picture. We're supposed to have that kind of love for other people. Death to self-love. Love that looks at somebody else as whatever you need. That is my calling to help you. But we live in such a selfish world A world that looks at everything, me first. 
that this flies in the face of what you hear. This flies in the face of what you see. This flies in the face of what your friends tell you. This just flies in the face of the world. But the world is controlled by the wicked one. It stands in the sway right now. It doesn't mean that ultimately God doesn't have control of things. It just simply means he's yielded up for a time Satan to be able to kind of run his game, run his scheme. And so you've got to be wise and abide in the truth. You have to live in these things. That word abide, that's really the best way to describe it. It means to live there. It means to dwell there. It means to set up your home right in the middle of the truth of God. And notice verse 7, as we finish this book, why this is so important. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess, here's the truth, Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. In other words, there is some other way to heaven. That Jesus Christ is not Lord. That there's something other than that that you can believe. Notice what your Bible says about the person who preaches that Jesus Christ is not the only way, truth, and life. Very powerful passage. I mean, no disrespect to anyone who's in the room, but this passage just smacks us in the face and says, look, you need to focus in on the truth here because everything else, no matter how wonderfully kind it is, If it's not Jesus Christ is Lord and the only way of salvation, it's a lie. Your Bible actually says this. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Anti means against. It's against Christ. Look to yourselves. In other words, take heed that we do not lose the things that we worked for but that we might receive that full reward. In other words, when you're sharing the truth, it doesn't do you any good as a child of God to walk in the truth and then get to a point in your life, well, you know, I don't really believe that's true anymore. And I'll give you a couple of examples in a moment. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ? Jesus Christ, God's one son, only son, came to this earth to give his life a ransom for us. He died on Calvary's cross. He was buried in the grave. He was raised three days later, and he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father forevermore. The doctrine of Christ, who he is, it's very simple. The good news of the gospel is good news because it's very simple, amen? It's not religious works. It's not what you do for God. It's what God did for you by sending his only begotten son into this world. The doctrine of Christ. There's only one. Notice what it says. If you don't abide, you don't live there, you don't have God. Does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. You cannot have the Father without the Son. And if you have the Son, you have the Father. The doctrine of Christ. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, now listen to this carefully because this is hypercritical in our day and time because there are all kinds of pseudo-religious, kind of, sort of, almost nearly Christian-looking groups who call themselves, self-identify as Christians in our world. They're actually cults. 
They're actually deceivers. They're actually antichrist. And the reason is given here. Does not bring this doctrine. Do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who shares and greets with him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. He said, I, I want to come say these things to your face and, and fellowship with you. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. John moves now to opposing error. And this is an unpopular thing to do in our world. This is a place where I believe pastors are failing in our world. We, we have pastors that are afraid to just simply stand and boldly declare the truth that Mormon doctrine is not Christian. Mormon doctrine is not Christian. Why? Because they have another Jesus. Exactly what this passage says. And as nice as they are, as patriotic as they are, as friendly as they are, the fact that they'll probably bring you meals, they may bring you a refrigerator, they may bring you money, the fact that they do all kinds of great things in our world. They are wonderful people. Please hear me. Wonderful people. They're also excruciatingly lost. Why? Because they do not believe that God only has one son. And they do not believe that Jesus is God in flesh. They believe that Jesus is one of God's many sons born to his many wives where he is on his little planet called Kalub in the middle of the universe where he populates the world with spirit babies, which is the reason y'all need to have a bunch of kids. And yes, I'm actually calling it out as it is. They not only don't believe that he has one son, the reason their name tags say elder whatever on them is because Jesus is simply the elder brother. He's one of God's many sons. Your Bible says Jesus Christ is God's only son, singular. And he has always been God, and he came to this earth and took upon himself the form of man. So if you have the wrong Jesus, you do not have salvation. No matter how nice they are. No matter how patriotic they are. No matter how friendly they are. Your Bible says they're deceivers and antichrist. Why do I share that with you? Because I get in debates all the time. Mormons are Christians. They self-identify as Christians. But my Bible doesn't say anywhere in there that I get to become a God. Yet the doctrines and covenants say very plainly that you too can become a God. So please be careful, family, because I listen to the stories of people that get pulled in by the free meals, the free refrigerator, the money, the friendship, the car rides, and everything else, as nice as it is, it's a disguise for a lie. There's a reason there's no cross. Because there's no cross. You see, we have to be armed with truth in order to combat that lie. We have to be aware of that falsehood. Their attacks are insidious. 
They're going to seduce people who are untaught and unwary. They're, they're going to try and come into your home. Why do you say that what is in view here is you shouldn't even let these people into your house? You should not let these people into your house. Why? Not because you want to be mean, but because if you identify with them long enough, they'll just say, oh yeah, Pastor Jeff lets us come in all the time. They don't bother to say that I confront everything they say. Or when the Jehovah's Witness come, as I always do, I say, you know, I would love to, but you're a heretic. I do need some fire starter. Can I have some of those Watchtower magazines, though? Got a barbecue to light later. It's falsehood. Don't entertain them. Why? Because they have been trained to try and brainwash you into believing that the Bible that you have has errors in it. The same thing that Mormonism teaches. Well, you know, the Bible was polluted. That's why Joseph Smith needed those nice glasses that he got from the angel Moroni. (laughs) Check out the word Moroni. And then he found these golden plates that he conveniently stuck inside of a hat. And then he put on the special glasses, covered his head, and lo and behold, there was a language that never existed called Reformed Egyptian that he then translated into King James English in the 1840s. King James died in the 1600s. It's true. Why do I tell you that? Because the truth is the arguments are pretty convincing sometimes. And Christians fall prey to them. Because they invite them back two, three, four times. They're so nice. Yes, they are. Satan himself was an angel of light. Don't let them in. You're setting yourself up. There's three dangers, and I'll close with this. The first danger is going backwards. It's amazing to me how many Christians know a significant amount of biblical truth, but they engage in falsehood. They begin to listen to ridiculous things. They start reading the Gospel of Thomas. They watch Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code to go, oh, I didn't know there was another Bible. And before you know it, they think Jesus had married Mary Magdalene, that he had a whole bunch of kids. Those are part of the Gnostic Gospels. They're not truth, but they sound kind of Christianese. You got to be careful of not going backwards. You spent your whole rest of your life trying to read and understand what's contained within your Bibles, you're going to keep busy. There's also a danger of running ahead of the Lord. That's actually the main problem with, for instance, the Church of Latter-day Saints. It's like, well, we need another gospel. We need another testament of Jesus Christ. The one that we currently have, that's not good enough. The Jesus that's in there, we don't really like that one because he's kind of not fond of polygamy. Joseph Smith was murdered for a reason. You, You see... Not that that was right, but he was a heretic. 
He was stealing other people's children for his brides. And yet, he was the first prophet? I don't think so. You run ahead of the Lord. Well, we need a new. Yes, there's this new gospel out there. You ever noticed how the ladies don't get ten husbands? Just saying. They're smarter than that. One of us is enough. You run ahead of the wash. You know, well, we're enlightened now. The only thing that's going to be enlightened is your pocketbook. And there's a danger of going with the flow. You start believing whatever comes down the pike. So many churches are like, well, you know, it's just, I'm just tired of dealing with this whole gay marriage thing. Maybe we should just, just let it go. I mean, God will sort it out, all out. No, God gave his opinion on that already. And he said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so no pastor in this church is ever presiding over a gay wedding. Ever. 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 It's actually in our bylaws. Never. Why? Because I would be condemning that person to believe that they're okay with God. And they're not. As much as there is a whole movement in our world to say, well, you just need to let love win. Not that love. Because that's not love. That's me not having the ability to tell somebody the truth when it hurts. That's a well-packaged lie. And it may well leave them in danger of judgment. You see, I can't go with the flow. I won't go with the flow. We as a church will not go with the flow in that regard. What Jesus said is the truth. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's what we believe. And so the focus here in this passage is the importance of truth. Biblical truth. The truth of the gospel. Would you stand with me? You see, lies bind you. uh, And lies will blind you. Actually, lies have the potential to destroy you, to bury you. But the truth does set you free. And maybe you're here today and maybe you came in, maybe you've been affected by some of these groups, cults is what they really are. I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you and he's offering you salvation by grace and through faith if you will believe on his name. Confess your sin and repent. But I'm also here to tell you that if you choose not to, what the Bible says is you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. Without the Son, you do not have the Father. The choice is yours. God's not going to force you into it. But he is going to make the choice clear. And the choice is either to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, to accept the way, the truth, and the life, 
or not. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord, you can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever invited Christ into my life. I've been religious, but I've never believed in the name. I've always trusted religion. You can change that today. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray with you. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord, I'm just going to simply ask you right now to just slip your hand up right where you're at. I want to pray with you. You came today and you came to church with your friends. You're just wondering what this whole church thing is about. I'm here to tell you it's about knowing Jesus Christ personally, having a relationship with him, anyone at all. Got to make the offer. Um, Father, we thank you that what we believe is that all who are in this building already know you. Who would not choose your amazing grace? And so we just simply believe that those of us that are gathered in this house today are already your children. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that set us free. And God, we ask that you'd instill that truth even deeper into our lives in every area. Lord, we pray if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, that you'd ferret it out and get rid of it. There's some place that we're flirting with danger. Lord, we're on the edge of some behavior that could be uh, a chance for us to go backwards. Lord, please don't let us slip. Father, for those of us that are doing well, we're walking with you and we're solid. God, boost our faith. Make us bold witnesses in our workplace, in this world. Lord, this nation, cause our nation to repent, to fall on its knees, to ask forgiveness and to turn. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for all that you have done for us by bringing us near through the blood that was shed for us on Calvary's cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. In Jesus' name.